Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for lending me those ears. And if you watch this on the video platform, I appreciate those eyeballs as well. Today, I got a guy who understands sales operations. Please help me welcome to the Sales Influence Show, Joey Gilkey. How you doing, Joey? What's up, Victor, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm loving having you on, man. Joey, let them know who you are. Let the Sales Influence Tribe know a little bit about yourself. And then maybe, kind of, like I said, don't don't shortchange yourself. People will rush through their own intro because <laughs> I know you hate talking about yourself. I get that. Yeah, I know it. I'll, but, I'll set aside the humility for a second. Um, yeah, go. cool. So I, you know, uh, super competitive, super athletic background, uh, played Division One football, ended up leaving college, going into full-time Christian ministry, of all things, actually. So I, I was actually um, on the college campus doing ministry raising my own income to support raising. Um, so that's kind of where I dabbled in the sales world initially, I would say. That's where I got my... It's hard, man. You're selling a product you can't really touch or see, right? You're right. selling a, you know, yourself. And so after that, ended up getting um, thrusted into the business world, kind of thrown into the wolves, had a great opportunity um, just through networking, through ministry. I uh, got to meet some pretty cool people and eventually uh, got offered a, an opportunity at a Fortune 100 company um, working in a global IT services uh, capacity um, and came in as a sales guy, as a typical sales guy, um, grew really fast, had a lot of success really fast, ended up, they wanted to launch a Southeastern division of this particular um, global IT services company. So I got to help build, uh, help hire, train, manage 115 salespeople. And then I left and decided corporate world wasn't for me. Got into the SMB world, joined a, a, a small million dollar a year consulting firm, uh, scaled that growth pretty quickly, got poached to be a VP of sales for a digital agency, which has really thrusted me into the world I'm in today, which is I work with high ticket B2B, predominantly digital agencies. Um, and so I was working as a VP of sales for the agency, having a lot of success, making other people a lot of money and decided, huh, I could, I could probably leave and, and do something on my own. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it wasn't entrepreneurial, it was just super competitive. And um, I love that, man. Ended up leaving. I love it. Yeah. L- let me ask you a question. I, I think I'm going to take this angle with you because I think this will be an interesting conversation. You know, when you decided to leave corporate America, let's just begin there. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, why did you de- why did you decide to leave corporate America? What was it? Sure. Well, the things that I loved about it was I came into just fantastic training, a budget with a lot of zeros that I got to handle that I've never seen before. And so I did have a lot of access to things, which is what accelerated my learning, I would say. Uh, The challenge with that was I felt like it was kind of like moving the Titanic in the sense that we couldn't, I couldn't make as much change as I felt like I could, you know, especially moving into the digital era. I felt like we were behind. You know, one big branch of our of the company was IT recruiting, and our people weren't on LinkedIn yet. And this was, you know, years and years ago, but this is still when LinkedIn was was on its initial rise. And I saw that, and they didn't want to move there because it wasn't part of protocol. And so for me, I just saw if I really want to have an impact somewhere, I'm just one of thousands and thousands of people at this organization. If I want to make an impact, I feel like I have the knowledge to do that. Uh, even though I'd only been there a couple of years, I, I feel like I had the experience that if I went to the small business world, I could really make an impact. I was going to push you a little bit. Can I push you a little bit? Do I have permission to push you a little bit? Because, Please do. Because I, all, by the way, I get all the thing you want to make an impact, but like really dig deeper, man, because I think there was something else there. I'm not like psychoanalyzing you right now, but like there's something deeper there, like, <laughs> you know, like, like some frustrations or something, because we all want to make an impact, but you know, really reflect on, you know, like maybe it's a sum of little things 
that you started seeing that said, you know what, I really, or maybe it's something internal, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think for me, one, my goals changed, my family changed, there's some, some things going on there. So there's, you know, some external factors, but I do think that, and there's nothing against corp- corporate, right? Like I think that there's a big need for it. There's a lot of fantastic, very talented people in that. And I think for me, there was the challenge of, um, I'm an innovator, I'm a visionary. And if I don't get to flex that muscle, and I have to kind of sit within a protocol, right? Like I love process, right? I love building out sales operations. But if if process um, puts a, a hurdle or an obstacle in the way of, of progress, then it frustrates me to no end. And so I would say that's probably what was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ask more psychoanalytical questions because I like that. I've never actually been challenged on that. So no, I'd love to I, dive deeper. Well, well you, you mentioned something about something going on with your family. And by the way, let me let me highlight why I'm asking this because there's a lot of people who are listening to this and mm-hmm. you know the, the, everybody finds their own internal you know motivation for wanting to do something. And it's usually an amalgamation of things, right? And some personal, some professional. And so you mentioned something was going on with the family. What was happening there that you can share? Yeah, so my brother-in-law, um, my wife's twin brother, um, got stage four cancer at the age of thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-smoker, but he got lung cancer, and um, you know, with that, I kind of just saw like this life's short. Uh, for me, it's it's um, it's fragile. It's not guaranteed, and you know, thankfully, he's still fighting today, years and years, years later. But um, unfortunately, it's come back full storm. And so we're kind of going back through it again. But at the time, I think it was really just seeing the fragility of life and seeing like, Hey, one life to live, make it count. And, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really want to go through the hurdles of, of fighting against my innovative visionary type of mind. Um, so I would say that's probably the, the main, the main driver. I hear that, man. Thanks for sharing. What's his name, by the way, first name, Brendan, Brendan, big shout out, Brendan, sending prayers your way, man. But anyway, Thank you. you know, and thank you for sharing, by the way, because it, again, I think I had a gentleman on my uh, Sales Influence podcast who at the age, I think, 22, 23, had the same thing. And that mm-hmm. was his wake-up call. And as you've pointed out, like, life is too short. I got to do my own thing. So there's that yeah. professional frustration, but then there's that personal wake-up call, right? And then you yeah, have a, you. Yeah, then you have that foundational structure of, you know, a very religious background. So I'm sure all this mm-hmm. is coming into play. And that said, so now you're out there, man. Now, now there you are carrying your own battle flag, man. Talk to me. Talk to me about the first few months, man. The first few months, the first, like you're out there, you're like, oh man, no safety net, so to speak. <laughs> Starting my own thing you're talking about? Yeah. No, yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. interesting. So, so for me, I was previously the VP of sales at a, at a digital agency. So <laughs> I came into a, an already existing offer, an already existing company. My goal was basically just to scale growth and build a sales team, build a sales operation so that we can get to our growth goals. Well, for me, naturally, I thought, well, I can grow an agency because I'm doing it right now, right? So I, I left and I said, well, let me just start an agency. <laughs> and, and sure enough... <laughs> And I learned. I know, I learned dude, really I, know, I, know, I know where you're going, man. I know where you're going. This, I, this is what I love. I know where you're going, but go ahead, go ahead. I learned really quickly, man. I can sell the hell out of this stuff, but I hate delivering, and I'm not a digital marketing guru who needs to be running an agency. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I get out there. I, I'm landing big accounts like marquee SaaS companies that you know at the time were really on the rise. But I hated delivering for them. And but I got but what it did was it thrusted me into a community of digital agency owners. 
And so I got around other people who loved delivering and hated the sales. Yeah. And so that's actually what sent me into the world that I'm into now, which is building out sales operations for these digital agency type of companies. Yeah. See, by the way, I, you're like, congratulations, you're normal. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm validating you being normal because I'm like that also. Dude, I hate delivery. Love selling, but I really hate delivering this stuff. So that's funny yep. that you went through that. Uh, so, so talk to me. Walk me through what was going on now. Yeah. So I think for me, what happened was, again, I got into a community of people, very similar um, agency style business. And and for me, I quickly realized like these people eat and breathe digital marketing and delivery and fulfillment. That's all they want to do. But they struggle with sales. They come from a creative, strategic, you know, technic, technical background. They don't come from a, a corporate world. They don't come from, you know, running VP of sales at two different companies, high ticket world. And so for me, the sale, I came into agency world different than 99%. And so I learned quickly, running an agency is not for me, but working with agencies seems like it could have some opportunity and have some legs to it. So actually what I did was I actually started out helping them straight up with just outbound lead generation. So naturally in the industry, everyone thinks that the Band-Aid that's on the gash, the Band-Aid they want is lead generation. There's a there's a, a gash that requires surgery and stitches that needs a whole sales infrastructure. Everyone's obsessed with lead gen. And so I was going where the market was telling me to go, not where I felt like it needed to go, which is where I'm at today. At the time it was let's let me build an outbound sales lead generation agency for agencies, help them, you know, I'll basically build out the outbound, they'll outsource it to me, we'll generate leads for them, send it to them, you know, they'll knock them down. And that's kind of the business model I built for a while. Super profitable, did very, very well. But there was a, a point in my career or in, in the business where I realized like I'm just solving a facet of a much larger problem and I can solve the much larger problem. Okay. Can I pause you there? Where, because that's what I'm Yep. Because I, I, I want to, you, you're saying some really cool stuff, man. I just, I just want to highlight. So for, for the for sake of clarity, when you're talking about uh, agency, what do you mean? I want, I, I got it, but I want to make yeah. sure my folks get it. Yeah, so so digital marketing agency is an outsourced marketing department or an outsourced marketing discipline. So they are the uh, advertising agency, the branding agency, the website development company, the content marketing agency, the holistic full service. We do video production, all these. So think of like a creative agency that other organizations would outsource their marketing to. See, I, I love so, that because because you've really focused in on a niche, mm -hmm. right? Like you've you've picked yep. that niche. Now, why did you pick that niche? Because that's you're working with creatives now, which is why they don't sell, yep. right? But but why that's that right. niche? Um, I think for me, it was I'm a big believer in like serving your people, and I think that I learned that even though I wasn't like them. I really enjoyed and loved them, right? Like, and I got to, you know, I've been in a bunch of masterminds in the space. And so I've, I've built really great relationships. I just love the creative type of people. They're visionaries like that we have in common. It's just their path has been different than mine. And so I think that we really get along super well. So I would say most of my friends have been clients. Our clients are probably going to be clients at some point, um, our agency owners. And so for me, it was a very unique I think it just fit a really unique need. Mm -hmm. And I also happen to really love the people. Yeah, I love your focus. And by the way, thank you for being so honest about this phrase you said was really brilliant, man, that I realized I can, I don't want to, what is it? I don't want to run it, but I can work with them. I don't want to be running one, but I can work. Because I think yep. 
it's that honesty with oneself, right? That's that, that's courageous, mm-hmm. man. I thought, you know, kudos to you, man, for that. Because that's like, Thank you. that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I don't do yeah, that. Yeah, I realized uh, I'm a big fan of tripling down on what you're good at, and you know, the things you're not good at, either partner with or or hire for. Because I just, yeah. it, it's not worth my time to try to get okay at something if I can just be amazing at something else. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm so glad you said that because I think we were brainwashed as children, right? You need to work on what mm-hmm. you're not good at. You need to work on what you're not good at. When we get older, we like, nah, you know what? Why don't I just work on what I'm really good at? And it's interesting. If you see it in business, it's those businesses that have a very hyper focus that are typically the ones who scale the fastest, build the most authority, have the most trust in the marketplace. But it's those who are generalists are the ones who usually fall to the wayside eventually. Dude, that's a mic drop right there, man. Boom, mic drop right there. So, 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 so now you built that. You're you're doing the lead gen thing, the outbound. You're building these systems for them, and then you you mentioned you found a point where you're thinking, you know what, this isn't really solving the core problem. Kick it off yeah. from there. Yeah, well, there's actually an interesting transition period of about six months there where we actually went from serving agencies and and like experiencing the frustration of like, hey, we're doing our job. Lead generation, we're driving leads of your ideal customer profiles and your buyer personas. And it's still not moving the needle a ton for your agency. Something's still falling to the ground. There's an issue there. And so my natural inclination was to say, it's agencies. So let me go somewhere else. And so I started moving away from my people. And I started going upstream to people who had seven, eight-figure deal sizes to where I was like, hey, these people know how to do it. Sure enough, we still did our job and it was still very challenging. And... And so, for instance, we had we worked with one company who's a they have a very unique concrete product. It's innovative nanotechnology infused concrete, lasts longer, way stronger, etc. Um, and we built a two hundred million dollar pipeline for them within like eight months. And and what happened with them was even though we did that, they still didn't have the infrastructure in place to to handle that and to actually see the the needle move at the pace in which at that time we were charging twenty five k a month retainers. Um, so they're, they're watching 25 K a month, go out the door. They have these massive long sales cycles. Um, and even though they have 200 million in the pipeline, they were just struggling to close deals. Um, and a lot of it was because the owners were still involved in the sales process and becoming the bottlenecks themselves. Um, and that's when it kind of clicked to me. It wasn't who I was serving. It was how I was serving them. And even though I was doing my job, I couldn't solve the bigger problem. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, can, can we just take that one apart? Can we just pick that mm-hmm. one apart, that example? Because I think it's a really yeah. interesting like case study if we can look at it that way. So here's a company. Uh, so you decided to go upstream. You said, because I'm looking for the seven or eight-figure deals, right? Mm-hmm. Help yep. me understand what that means. So you went from people who had budgets of, uh, let's say, I don't know, 5000 a month to people who yeah, had so 50, our, 60. Our, yeah, so our agency, you're talking about like for our clients themselves? Yeah, Correct. so our agency clients, were char- you know, we're charging six, 7000 a month. We started going upstream to these bigger deals and charging 20, 25% or, uh, or excuse me, 20, 25,000 a month plus, you know, rev share, um, okay. of some sort. And so again, a very profitable business, like I said. And that's why people were kind of tilting their head of why did you, why did you kind of shut down a profitable business and pivot to doing <clears throat> something else? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got in with this, these companies who have these massive deal sizes and, and they had these bigger budgets. And just because of these bigger budgets, doesn't mean they're necessarily better at sales, which was my my thought at the time. And so uh, for me, it was kind of eye-opening to realize... And they're still kind of a startup, right? They, they originally were a concrete um, paving construction company that pivoted because I saw a need and created this concrete product. 
um, super innovative. They actually are right next door to you where you live. Um, and so um, we got in with them and again, massive pipeline build. We're going after these massive, you know, we, we, I'm a big fan of niches, right? Like we helped them pick a niche, which was, Hey, we're going to go after heavy equipment dealerships. Um, so Caterpillar, massive bulldozer, bulldozers, 50 ton machines that tear up concrete in two years. And this concrete could last four or five times that long. And so there's a massive value prop there. And even though we would get in the room with people, it, it still would stall because of things on the back, you know, follow up wasn't there. Um, the owner was, was stuck selling. He loved his product so much that he wasn't willing to like teach Taylor, take control, you know, the whole challenger sale process. Um, he was just so obsessed with this product. It was kind of one of those things of you're not buying, you're stupid for not buying. And it's like, well, <laughs> sales, sales is a mindset. <laughs> sales is a little different than, than that. Uh, calling your, your prospects stupid for not buying is probably not the tactic I would choose. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but um, that was kind of where we found ourselves. So, so I love that. Like I said, it's a great case study, right? So you got a company, has the potential, has a new product, uh, long sales cycle, always a tough one, right? And mm-hmm. by the way, typical sales cycle, what, nine, 12 months, something like that, probably? Yeah, for them, it's it could be years because they, they okay. might get in with a Caterpillar dealer that <clears throat> has 10 lots they need filled and three are good and seven are not. And, you know, it's just very complex. Gotcha. And so you have, and, and I love the fact that you mentioned that sometimes the owner can't get out of their way. So you go in there, you with this mindset, let me help you build out. What are you seeing, like, in terms of how difficult was it to help a company like this, like, build an infrastructure, you know, for what you were asking them to do? They've got to be, they've got to be incredibly bought in to what we're doing because we really take control of the entire build out. I mean, we, we basically call mm-hmm. ourselves like a fractional VP of sales, mm-hmm. you know, okay. that, that eventually leaves, right? It leaves you in a better place than when we got there. And so our goal is to basically come in, build out this entire sales operation that's built on sales process, sales technology, sales people, and sales assets. Uh, we come in and build out all four of those. We call those our core four. And and they have to be convinced of it's not just about leads. You know, the way I think about growth is in three three categories. There's there's pipeline, there's conversion, and there's economics. Pipeline, where are our leads coming in? How many do we have? Conversion, how many of those are we turning into deals uh, that close? And then economics, what do we charge? How much do we retain? What's our churn? All those kind of things. And okay. most people obsess about leads. Mm-hmm. And if they just realize that if you just, instead of closing 15% of 10 leads that come in the door, so one and a half deals, instead of going and trying to close three deals because you now have 20 leads, what if you focus instead of having a 15% conversion rate on having a 30% conversion rate? Mm-hmm. And instead of what if charging $100,000, what if you charged $125,000? Right? And so if you impact all three of those categories incrementally, you have more sustainable, holistic growth, and un- unfortunately, most people don't see it that way at first. No. It's, we call it lead, we call it lead disease. Okay, yeah, they're they're so focused. So so let's walk through. Let's let's tear it apart even more because this is really interesting. Uh, on the pipeline piece, you go in there and you say, mm-hmm. "Look, we need to hyper focus on on certain markets, big equipment manufacturers, mm-hmm. all that stuff." Is that walk me through that process first of how do yeah, we the focus pipeline sign? Yeah, let's do that first. Yeah, so we look at leads in, in three different ways. There's demand gen, which is inbound. There's outbound, and then there's um, referral slash network, you know network network based pipeline. And so we look at all three categories. Most people struggle the hardest in demand gen and outbound, obviously, um, 
demand gen for a new product in a space that's saturated. Like there's so many concrete companies out there and, and most people are like, oh, I'll just use Quickcrete, right? Um, and they're the biggest brand in the space naturally. And so uh, we said, well, let's pick, a, let's pick the niche first and let's create content for the niche. And let's, let's create viral content with videos and those kind of stuff. Um, we're not a production agency. We're not all that kind of stuff. We're, we're sales, right? And, but the thing that I love about sales is sales touches the market the easiest, right? It's easier for us to get feedback on messaging, on what's landing, on the calls to action, because we are just going out and getting it. We can get in front of people and get feedback instantly, essentially. And so we could take that back to marketing and say, hey, this is what's really landing on the market. Go and create content that answers these specific pain points that we keep running into in our sales conversations. And if we do that for a specific niche, we're going to start quickly building authority in the space. Authority, demand comes with authority. So naturally, we're going to start having inbound flow in. And then we have outbound. Outbound is a beast, right? Especially in a long sales cycle, big decision, million plus. You know, I think their average deal size is about four and a half million. Big, big deal sizes. So getting in with multiple decision makers, understanding the hidden decision makers, like there's all these different, and we take an account-based sales approach, right? So it's very much targeted. If we're going to go after this specific dealer, we're going to have a gifting strategy for the CEO, the COO, and the um, controller. We're going to have, um, you know, email, LinkedIn, social selling, cold calling, omni-channel approach that surrounds them. On top of that, we're going back to marketing and saying, hey, we want you to target this specific company with these ads. So they're seeing us everywhere. And then we come in with the right hook and we say, hey, we can solve your problem. Here's how. And we bring case studies and value and, and all these different video testimonials. It's a, it's a long, complex sales cycle. Even if you do that right, deals still fall through. It's 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 maddening. <laughs> I love it's the way maddening. You're, you're so funny. I, if you if you by the way, if you go back and listen to this, Joy, you had this great thing that said, but even that, you still lose your deal. It's like you went through all that, but but, and I it's love true. that. I, 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 no, no, I I know it's true, and I'm, I'm geeking out on your content because it's like I, you know, I can say this, and I don't care who's listening, but I have guests who come on on the Sales Influence podcast. And I can tell when somebody knows what the hell they're babbling about. You know what I mean? And I'm listening to you go, he gets it. He gets it. So if, if you're listening to this podcast, Joey Gilkey, go check him out. Uh, no, we're not in the podcast yet. I just, that's how much I like your riff, man. That's how much I like yourself. I'm a drop. I'm a drop. I'll take I'm a in the middle, man. Yeah. And, um, I love it because it's like you understand the, the, the holistic approach. And you know, that's why I wanted to stop at this example. Having said all that, let's move to the conversion. Let's say we put the infrastructure in place and you just said, well, and that doesn't guarantee you close. Let's move to the conversion piece. Yep. So conversions, I mean, it is what it is in the sense of like, it, it's the art of the sale, right? It's, it's, and I don't mean that like, I think Trump has a book called The Art of Sale. I don't mean it that way. But what I mean is there's science, which is quantitative sales, right? Like activity-based, it's we're doing this many activities, et cetera. That has its weight. I'm more about the qualitative part of the sale. So um, I'm a big fan of creating prospect journeys, which is not just getting their attention, but how do we also get them through the consideration phase of like, all right, we, we got their attention. That's the hardest part originally. Once we get their attention and we have their, their, and they're captivated with, okay, these guys have been putting in the work to get us here in this meeting. How do we then, since it's a long sales cycle, how do we keep their attention throughout the entire six, nine, 12, 18 month sales cycle? And it's really all about creating that prospect journey. I mean, I'm a big fan of Disney, um, just in terms of the business model of Disney, right? Like if you go to a Disney World or a Disneyland, 
you're immersing yourself in the experience of Disney, right? Everything from the co- the people who work there to the names of the stores and the restaurants and the food you eat, like everything lends to telling a story. And so I'm a big fan of when you get their attention, you have to get them through consideration and decision stage. And those are massive stages where they may not know that you solve a specific problem a different way. And so the consideration stage is really how do we continue to educate them? How do we continue to provide value? And how do we continue to keep momentum going in the sales process so that we don't do that whole, like we call it the roller coaster where it's, you work super hard and the, the, the crest of the, the wave, if you will, is that meeting. And then the meeting goes and you just start dropping slowly. And next thing you know, you're dropping and dropping. And then you got to work super hard, even, even harder to get to the next meeting where you guys answer some more questions, provide more value, et cetera. And then again, it drops. And so how do you continue to keep that momentum? So it's just this constant growth instead of this roller coaster of gain momentum, lose it, gain it back, lose it. So a lot of that is the content you provide in the meantime. I'm a big fan of having content um, built for every stage of the sales process. Top of funnel. Most people say top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel. I mean, there's like 12 different stages in a funnel. So I would say just having just all these different um, components of answering their questions, of providing value, of providing um, proof of concept and social proof and all these different things. Um, I mean, for this specific company with the concrete, we literally went to one of our customers and we we told a bulldozer driver to do donuts while we video him on this concrete to kind of just show <laughs> off like... <laughs> Oh, we did some funny stuff. Um, oh, I love that. That's creative, donuts. Man. That's that's that right brain of yours kicking in again, man. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the creative. Like that, that's why I went back to my people and I serve agencies now full time for the most part. Um, but that was one of those fun projects where it's like we're just going to do stuff that we just start feeding them through the pipe, you know, through this entire process. So when you think about the the middle part, which is conversion. There's so many com- components to that. It's the art of the sale. It's it's the the scripts. It's the structure of your meetings. It's the making sure that you're addressing all the players, even if the, it's not the one who cuts the check. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the challenger sale. There's a there's a second book to that called the challenger customer. Um, with a t- with a yeah, they talk about the hidden influencers in any decision in a company. Um, how do you do that? And so like we would create campaigns around like the CEO secretary. And make her or him feel valued because they are valuable, and and make sure that we're basically surrounding their company as much as possible. I've never heard anybody express it that way. That you know, after the crest, which is let's say the the crest of the way, which is the big meeting, mm-hmm. that it, it just you know that that enthusiasm may dampen. We know that you know time kills deals, right? The longer it takes. Yep. And 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 I think what you just said was interesting because you're reinforcing, I think, the new way of selling today, which is how do you constantly you know hit people during the customer journey and post meeting is obviously part of the customer journey so i love that i want to take this opportunity to ask you a question just to get your perspective mm-hmm. on the customer journey what you're starting to see today in the market from a I'll, I'll say from a you know you have sales engagement but it's more about buyer enablement on the other side right and the buyer sure. enablement piece is about giving them the information they need you know uh you talk about the customer journey you know we're looking at artificial intelligence and then you're looking at content you know, that, that yep. triangle, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how is this all coming together? How do we help the buyer buy with all this technology? Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with technology. And and it's not that I don't want to adopt it. It's that oftentimes we adopt too much, right? It would be like a family adopting nine kids at a time when they've never had kids. 
it's going to be really overwhelming <laughs> and you're not going to do it very well, you know, until you start picking it up and learning it. And so I think there is a, an aspect where I think we do have shiny object syndrome to some degree. Um, I think sales really is fundamental to some degree. Like there's obviously you can introduce a lot of things, technology, intent-based data, um, you know, account-based marketing using something like a Terminus, you know, Sengram over there at Terminus has a fantastic tool for account-based marketing. Like there's all these different tools you can create and, and all that stuff is super valuable. But at the end of the day, to me, it comes down to if you get hyper-focused on who you serve and how you serve them, the technology is always secondary or tertiary to me, in my opinion. I can, I can sell someone by just writing a really good handwritten letter, to be honest. You know, and I believe that because it, it comes down, and, and, and it's, I'm a high touch, high tech guy, right? I'm, I'm going to always side on the side of high touch um, because I think that people are always going to buy based on the human. So as long as the technology, this is the way I look at technology. If the technology makes me more efficient and more effective, I don't let it compromise one or the other. Like it's always going to make us more efficient, more than likely. Effectiveness is the, the question there is, are we going to be just as or more effective by using this tool? Or are we going to have to do a lot more volume because our effectiveness dropped, if that makes sense? That to- makes total sense. You know, a big shout out to Sangram over at Terminus, man. Uh, wrote a book called yeah. B2B. Uh, ABM is B2B. I think I got that B2B. right. Yeah, I love I, it. I read yeah. it on a one one plane ride. I read the entire thing. I just Great I, book. I just consumed it. But you know what's interesting about that book? Just a small tangent. Uh, and a shout out to Sangram again. When I was reading the book, I go, well, this is going back to old school. I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's focused on key accounts and just drill down on those key accounts. And I was like, okay. And so it's full circle. Last part, close it out for me. So we got the pipeline. We got ways of trying to get people to stay in the, in the consideration phase, obviously selection phase. We're going to close mm-hmm. some deals here. What did you mean about the economic aspect of this in your third phase? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a... So when, when someone comes to me and they want to work with us, um, mm-hmm. we do a massive overhaul, diagnose plus prescribe. So we're, we're basically building on a roadmap for them to get from point A to point Z and everything in between, at least as it, as it um, involves growth and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help you much on operations because that's not my, my specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, sales operations, yes, but business operations, see you later. Um, so for me, when I think about economics, like I said, it, it, let's just say hypothetically, we'll use very round numbers. Like if I want to get from... 10 million in revenue to 20 million in revenue. I want to double my revenue. You have pipeline, you have conversion, you have economics. Most people focus on pipeline. If I want to double my revenue, I need to double my leads. Okay. That's one way to do it. That's very difficult. That increases overhead. So your profit margin is going to drop. Or I want to double my close rate. That's super difficult to do. You go from closing one out of every five to closing, you know, two and a half out of every five or one out of every two. That's really, really hard. And then there's pricing. I'm not going to double my pricing overnight, right? If I if if Apple went out there and they just all of a sudden dropped a two thousand dollar MacBook, would people buy it for sure? Because they have the brand. But like if Joe Schmo on the street or a concrete company said, "Hey, we're twice as expensive as any other concrete part on the market," you got to have something to back that up. So the way that we look at growth, and that's the only way you're going to get from ten to twenty million, doubling any one of those categories. Or the way we look at it is if you do an incremental 26% growth in all three categories. So if I go from 20 leads a month to 25, and I go from a close rate of, of 25% to 30%, and if I go from charging $100,000 to charging $125,000, right? I have a 26% increase in all three categories. I'm going to get to that $20 million number much more sustainably, much more uh, safely and holistically. And you're going to get there a lot faster in my opinion. 
So that's when I talk about economics is, is thinking about your pricing. The first thing I'll usually do is say increase your prices. You know, if you've got a good product, it's increase your prices. Most people are underpriced themselves. Um, and in my world, like digital agencies, most people will price themselves based off of their input. So how many hours they're putting in, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and that equals 250 there, 500 there, 1,000 there. Okay, so our total is 1750 Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of value-based pricing. What is the value that this brings, right? When, when someone hires my company, I, don't, I literally don't pay attention to hours at all. What I look at is the pro forma. We put together a pro forma of here's where I think you can be 12, 18 months down the road, money-wise. I want this percentage of that. So that's my, that's my fee. That's basically how I look at my, my fee structure at my company. What is the impact I bring to your company? What is the impact your company brings for the concrete company? We help you drop costs um, in terms of you don't have to have a massive overhaul of all your lots every three to five years. It'll be every eight to 10 years. So you have to have this decision less time. So there's your time back. Two, we're 25% more expensive from a concrete perspective. Mm-hmm. But you only need to, repl- you need to replace us twice as long. And sure. so we're actually net. 75% cheaper, you know? And so I think that's, or 50% cheaper. Um, so that's just the way that we look at it is what is the value you bring and price according to your value, not according to your input necessarily. I love it, man. Hey, you know, I, I would say position your value, not your price. Totally big difference, mm-hmm. right? The, love it. I, I want to circle back. Well, two things. Your approach is very similar to the way I think about the sales velocity uh, academy. Mm-hmm. So I have, and the sales velocity equation is, Increase the average deal size, increase the number of opportunities, increase your close rate. With the fourth variable being divided by, you got to shorten your sales cycle. You know, yes. so it's really like it lines up nicely, man. But you said that's something one of my favorite earlier. KPIs. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. You said something earlier, and, and I, I just realized what you were talking. About. I want to go back to you talked about doing a when you're booking a client, you're talking about you charge them a fee per month, a retainer, right? But also, you mm-hmm. said something about a rev share. Yes. Which I thought was yeah, interesting. I think that's one, if you believe in what you're doing and you get results for people, that's the fastest way to scale your revenue um, is getting a piece of everyone else's revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Two, your, your, your conversions are going to go up when they see there's a performance component, right? If mm-hmm. someone says, oh, these guys really believe in what they're doing, that they're willing to put some revenue on the line, you know, they're, they're kind of a risk reward, right? And so if, if they're willing to basically do some work for free mm-hmm. in exchange for, you know, a later payday after they've actually proven themselves, you know, your conversions are naturally going to go up because of that. People are, are far more interested in working with people who believe in what they're doing because I'm, if I'm going to put forth the effort, this is the hard thing with agencies, right? Is there's no skin in the game for an agency who just works off a retainer. I'm not saying mm-hmm. you don't, you have to do performance based. What I'm saying is that does hurt your conversion rates. If, if you have no skin in the game, you have nothing to lose here. I'm basically going to get a retainer every month. And if it doesn't work out, well, they're out, mm-hmm. they're out the money, but we got the money and yeah, we don't finish the contract, but okay, we, at least we made money for our time and we had profit baked into that retainer. But when you tell someone, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to basically have less or I'm going to have some skin in the game in terms of, I'm going to do a rev share component to this where it's like, Hey, I'm going to take less profit on, on the retainer in exchange for what will be a far greater payout down the road. Once we actually perform for you and we don't mm-hmm. get paid until you get paid your conversions are going to skyrocket. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of that model. Um, I love that. I again, love, you got to be pretty, you got to be confident. 
Yeah, w- walk me through. I mean, by the way, I am learning from you now. Okay, so, so I, I I'm sitting at the knee right here of you learning, <laughs> and that is well, I'm humbled <laughs> because I've never really considered that. I mean, I've heard of it, you know, and I've mm-hmm. one or two people. So to be able to interview somebody who's actually doing that, walk me through that conversation. You're you know you're going through this whole presentation of who you are. You're talking to your ideal client profile. Walk me through what that conversation sounds or looks like. Yep. So I, I mean, when we come to the table and I don't do it with every client because there's, there's a certain level of like, uh, I want to attach myself. Cause it, if you, if you actually think about it, like if, when you do a rev share, you're basically a phantom equity holder. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't actually have equity. You don't have stake in the company necessarily, but you do get deeper with the company. So there's an aspect of like, do I really like working with these people a ton to the point where I'm willing to get a little bit deeper with them, maybe take an extra call. Um, mm-hmm. you know, time's valuable. So, so, you want to, so Joey, what's your criteria? Let's start there. What's your criteria? Customer. Yeah. For saying I, I'll do a rev share here. No, nah, I'm not doing one here. What are your, what's your criteria? Um, people who move too fast in the decision-making process, I won't do it because they're going to be the fastest to, to drop you down the road. I don't, I don't mean that every time, but I, no. I for those who are like one call closes, I don't trust mm. you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so honest. I don't. I, love I don't. It. I love it. I love. It. We actually we we purposely build in multiple call closes, even if we can close a deal, because we we do have like a lower end, more info product, less than ten thousand dollar thing, uh, and then we have our upper end, which is tens, hundreds of thousands. And so, um, for the lower end thing, we still bake in a, a two call close, even though we can close them in one. Um, and then again, that's for the demand gen people who've already understand us, walk through our process, et cetera, and they understand what we're doing. And we still want to bake in that additional hurdle for them um, because because the economics piece we talked about, that last part, there's a piece of economics that people don't pay attention to, which is you, your profit margin comes from retention, m- mostly, right? Because for someone to renew with you, zero cost per acquisition, Right. So basically, if it, if it took you $1,000 to acquire a customer in year one, if they renew with you, well, your cost per acquisition actually is 500 per contract. They renew for your third year, it's $333 per contract. So your cost per acquisition drops, and that's where your profit margins start showing up. Um, but uh, I focus a lot on retention and and graduation is what we call it. So there's some products we have where our goal is to graduate someone, not to retain them. Right, we want them to be self-sustaining, not need us, et cetera. That's why we pay charge a big fee on the front end. Um, <clears throat> but what that conversation is, if I, if I really find that I want to work with them, uh, for one, they're they're cool to work with. Uh, for two, um, they believe in their product. Um, for three, they have a unique value proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just they're not swimming around in a red ocean. They're out there, at least in some some purple ocean, if not blue. Um, <laughs> okay, you know, or and the very most important part is, will you let me captain the sales operation? Interesting. Will you relinquish control? If you if you relinquish control, I can create the impact I want to create. If you won't relinquish control, then my income is dependent on your ability. And I don't trust your ability. That's why we're that's in this big, conversation. That's a big one right there. That that right there. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's, that's fascinating though. And by the way, uh, last question on the topic. You don't have to share a specific customer or anything, but like, what's the typical mm-hmm. rev share that you ask for? So let's say I, I come across a client. Uh, I don't know. This guy manufactures expensive dirt. Well, it's the richest dirt in the world. I'm making this up. <laughs> and, and you know, this, they're generating, I don't know, who knows, I don't know, $100 million a year. 
So a contract like that, you would go in and say, look, I can help you scale your business to half a, half a billion, a billion, whatever it may be. You yeah. go in there with a retainer, and then what percentage mm-hmm. of that would you ask for? What's the range of sales? Um, yeah, I, I, so this is part of our diagnose and prescribe. We always do a roadmap. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, even if someone's like, hey, I want to throw you 250K today, it's like, I'm not going to let you. You're, you're going to pay me 4000 to do a roadmap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And, and people respect that too because I'm like, hey, even if you want to throw me money, I don't really know what the scope of this project's going to be and I can't serve you until we do this. So pay 4000 which is substantially cheaper. Let our team look under the hood, diagnose what you're currently at, what your problems are, et cetera. We'll prescribe the roadmap. We'll agree upon the roadmap. So we're very clear on your, your responsibilities, my responsibilities and the outcomes and our pro forma. In that roadmap, we're looking under the hood to understand... What's the potential impact we have here? We create what we call an impact pro forma. Here's the impact that we think we're going to have on the business. Um, and so I'll reverse engineer. I typically like to charge my fee, whether it's retainer or project-based. I like to keep it around 7.5%. Okay. Um, and that's my fee, right? So if I, if I believe that we can drive you know a million dollars in revenue additional just for round number's sake, I'm probably going to mm-hmm. charge you um, about, what is that, 75K? Um mm-hmm. And then the rev share component, I'm probably going to want to take uh, 25 to 5% of every deal that comes through um, from when we started on. Love it. And so That's there's it. some that I'll take 10. There's some that I'll take 10%. If they have massive margins, I'm going to mm-hmm. take up a little bit more. Um, okay. By the way, the big, the big takeaway there, well, there's a lot of takeaways in what you're saying, actually. But the big takeaway there also that most people skip over is the whole thing about, I'm going to charge you 4000 whatever that number is, to go in and look under the hood first to see what's there. I don't even know if I yep. want the deal. And I think from there, what you're saying is, then I can evaluate how I want to structure my deal yep. and look at it that way. Yeah, of course. The, the one thing that I think there's, there's a, we call that a foot in the door offer. Um, the one thing we love creating or value ladder offer, whatever you want to call it, something that it's lower maintenance. It, it's um, something that you kind of streamline and it helps you kind of, it helps facilitate the bigger implementation plan on the back end. It's, it's huge. We implement it with all of our clients, make sure that you have a foot in the door offer. And here's, here's, here's a added benefit that people don't think about. One issue with, um, sales is they have a difficult, most companies have a difficult time bringing in sales to a more complex consultative sale, right? Whether it's marketing services, consulting services, whatever, because if there is an element of, you know, consulting or an, an element of, of custom work, they're afraid that the salesperson doesn't know how to have that conversation around the custom work knows all the like no one knows the product as well as the owner knows it everyone gets that right the owner created the product he started the company he or she knows more about the product than anybody else they could talk about it easily they think that that knowledge has to translate to the salesperson and no salesperson is going to be able to to have that conversation like the owner can and so there's this fear of bringing a salesperson in or salespeople in because we don't know how to have them properly scope a project properly price the project bake in our margins the way we want to and they're afraid that you're going to undersell a project and we're going to lose money on the deal. Well, the easiest way to get around that is don't have the salesperson sell the custom work. Have the salesperson sell the foot in the door offer, which is basically saying, hey, you're going to pay us to scope the work and diagnose where you're at. And then your team actually delivers to so your project manager or whatever, your COO will analyze the deal itself, put together the actual offer and the scope of work and the price bring that back to the salesperson and the salesperson delivers the roadmap or the diagnosis and then says, Hey, here's what's going to cost for us to implement this plan. 
They didn't have to actually scope the work themselves. They didn't have to, to know all the nuts and bolts of the product and service. They just know how to sell the roadmap and then how to sell the implementation of the roadmap that's already done by the team. Does that make sense? Dude, I'm just I'm enthralled because I'm like, yeah, it makes total sense. It's like a like a value <laughs> sales sandwich or something. Foot in the door. Mm-hmm. We'll create the value so I don't get paranoid. And then you go sell what I just gave you and just close the yep. deal. Of course it makes sense, man. Dude, this That's the fastest is, way to scale a salesperson. I don't know what to say to you, Joy, today. I, I this it's been a while <laughs> since I really enjoyed an interview with somebody. And this is nice. one of the I just enjoyed. I even learned a new phrase, two phrases. Impact pro forma. Love that one. And the love phantom. It. Equity owner. Are you kidding me, man? That's a great phrase. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I love it, man. Hey, Joey, let them know where they can find out more information about you. Yeah, come check me out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active over there. Um, LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash Joe Gilkey. And then check me out. Um, uh, SalesDrivenAgency.com is, is my main company. We work mostly with agencies, but um, anyone who's got a high ticket, complex B2B product or service, um, we can at least point in the right direction, if nothing else. Joey, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. So, and that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, whatever platform. And after you do that, check out joygilkey.com. Check out his website. I mean, just re-listen to this podcast. There's so much stuff in here that he just jammed in there. Just re-listen to this podcast again and share it with at least one other person. And after you do that, check out the Sales Velocity Academy. You know the deal. Over 50 courses, 500 videos. Lastly, I want to thank you for listening. This is Victor Antonio, always riding you. Selling ain't hard when you know how. Take care.